You are listening to Cedar Hills Community Church in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. A place to be loved, a place to belong, and a place to serve. So for this series on Reimagine, we're going to be looking at the prophet Isaiah. If you want to turn to somebody who's really good at like stretching your imagination, I'd recommend reading the whole book. We're going to pick some selected passages that help us uh, celebrate Advent and reimagine Christmas. And we're going to start with Isaiah chapter 64. So if you've got your Bible or your phone, whatever device you're reading scripture on, turn to Isaiah 64. And before we read this together, I want you to know that you're being prayed for. Here's one of the prayers that I pray for you. The Lord be with you. Isaiah 64, verse 1. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continued to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean. All of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter, We are the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look on us, we pray, for we are all your people. This is God's word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. Quick question. How many of you are afraid of the dark? Afraid of the dark, okay? I have a theory, and my theory is this that everyone is a little bit afraid of the dark. There's something in us that makes us afraid. And if we add to the darkness some unexplained noises in the distance, that actually makes it even more likely that we're going to be afraid. And if you don't believe me, then I invite you to take a walk in the woods on some pitch black night with no flashlight and see if it doesn't make the little hairs on the back of your head stand up. We all are afraid of dark at least a little bit. Now, there's fear experts who tell us that the fear of the dark is instinctual and necessary. That's actually part of what we need in order to survive. That in the dark, our visual senses are impaired, and so we can't see what's around us. We can't detect anybody who might be sneaking up on us. We rely on our sight to help us to be protected from harm. So if it's dark and we can't see, we're scared. I think the non-technical way to say what the fear experts are saying is this. When the boogeyman sneaks up on you, you want to see him coming. That's fear of the dark. We address fear of the dark. How? We add light. Light dispels the darkness, and that dispels our fear. And we use all kinds of different lights. 
We use night lights, phone lights, flashlights, porch lights, headlights, street lights, even Christmas lights we use to try to like dispel the darkness. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but it seemed to me that people turned on their Christmas lights way earlier than normal this year. At least some people did. And I was so curious about this, I did a little research and found out that, in fact, many people did turn on their lights way earlier than they usually did. Some people turned their lights on way before Halloween, even their Christmas lights before Halloween. And I actually read an article about this in which one family who flipped their switch on way earlier than usual was asked why this was their answer. The lights bring happiness. So we're lighting up the dark to try to give us security and happiness and joy. I think light pushes back the darkness and it gives us hope. Literally and metaphorically, bright light gives us hope. So I was wondering this week, if bright light gives us hope, will the brightest light give us the brightest hope? And if that's the case, then we need to figure out what is the brightest light. So the first thing I want you to try to reimagine this Christmas is what is the brightest light that shines in your life to give you hope? The brightest light. Now Isaiah 64 starts out with a prayer. O God, tear open heaven and come down. The reason Isaiah prays this prayer is because he's living in very dark times. The nation that he's living in is facing great turbulence. The nation has been torn apart politically and it's been splintered by immorality and injustice. The nation is a mess. Isaiah, if you read through the whole book, will find that he's denouncing all kinds of problems that come in the nation. He denounces things like this. See if some of these don't sound familiar. He denounces violence, oppression of the poor, abandonment of the needy, discrimination of foreigners, government corruption, dishonest judges, and corrupt priests, compromised priests. This is the kind of problems he's seeing. He sees greed, deceit, immorality, idolatry. These are plaguing the nations, and on top of all this, foreign powers are threatening to invade them. It's a dark time, and people are afraid, and so they cry out, Oh God, tear open heaven and come down. God, come do something about this. Come do something about this darkness. We need some light. So we recognize this is a great prayer to pray in dark times. But as I was thinking about it, I'm wondering if everybody who prayed this prayer understood the full significance of that kind of prayer. Because it seems like it's a very bold and courageous, maybe even a little bit risky prayer. Oh God, tear open heaven and come down. And I wondered if we aren't often tempted to pray this prayer expecting that God is going to come down on our terms. And then the prayer might come off a little bit like this if we prayed it honestly. Oh God, tear open heaven and come down over there and deal with that darkness. Oh God, come down over there and deal with them and their problems. Oh God, come down and take care of that out there. Aren't we tempted maybe to pray that way? Because if God comes down too close, then we recognize that God's going to have to deal with us and we're going to have to deal with Him. 
And if we have to deal with God on his terms, then we're going to have to recognize and surrender to God's purposes. And the way that becomes very risky is this. If God comes down close to us, if God comes down in here, or if he comes down in here, then we're going to have to deal with our darkness. This is the first step, I think, in reimagining Christmas. That our prayer for God to come is first of all a prayer to say, God, deal with me and my situation. And we recognize that what Isaiah recognized is this. God is the potter. We are the clay. And God is going to work on us. We are the work of his hands. This is what God wants to accomplish. This is our hope. Now, most of us, including myself, put a lot of expectations on Christmas. I know I do. I love this time of year. I find all kinds of magical things happening at Christmas. Christmas has great power and great joy and great peace and great love. And uh, I don't really want to ruin Christmas for anybody if you have these kinds of high expectations. But I think we need to rework our imagination on this. Because in our expectation for Christmas, we sometimes think that the season of Christmas is the thing that's going to make the change. If we could just live out the spirit of Christmas all year long, wouldn't we see peace on earth? If we could just live out the spirit of Christmas all year long, wouldn't we see goodwill toward all? Wouldn't we all be generous all the time? Wouldn't we overcome all the problems, all the ills in our world? If we could just have Christmas 12 months a year, like the season of Christmas has some kind of magical powers. Well, if that were true, then there would be no need for us to pray this prayer. Oh God, tear open heaven and come down here. If we could fix the problems ourselves, if we could just adjust our attitude, if we could just learn to be more generous and more kind and more peace-loving people, then we wouldn't need God to come down. When we pray this prayer, it's a bold and courageous prayer because when God comes down, we need to buckle up Keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle at all times because God is going to shake up, shake things up. This was the passage again. Oh God, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. The kind of light that God wants to shine into this world is a disruptive light that causes nations to tremble. This is the light that we hope for. You know, all the biblical prophets talked about this kind of earth-shaking presence. Even Jesus talked about God's coming and they warn us against settling for lesser lights. Settling for something that's less than this. In fact, Isaiah, when he was talking to the people of his day, he asked those people who settled for lesser lights this question. He said, why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Why are you seeking these things? Why are you seeking a light that doesn't really dispel the darkness? Why would you trust in a light that's not bright enough to shake everything up? Only the brightest light gives us real hope. 
and satisfies us. And that light comes down from God when He comes. And when it does come, we see the light of His face. Now, we found this interesting connection as I was going through these passages. It was a connection between the light of God coming down with all of its brightness and God shining His face upon us. I thought I wanted to explore that a little bit, so I looked at some other passages where this same connection is made. This one was made by the psalmist in Psalm 80. He says this. It's another prayer. Restore us, O God. Make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. Moses offered this prayer as a blessing in Numbers 24 to his people. He said this, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. But this bright light coming down seems to have something to do with seeing God's face, which is kind of an interesting twist because often when people saw God's face in the Bible, it, uh, they were undone. Isaiah was undone. He says, woe is me when he saw God's glory because I am uh, unclean and I live with people who are unclean. He could not stand to see God's face. In Isaiah 64, Isaiah cries out with this prayer, when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, nor ear has perceived, nor eye has seen any God beside you. Isaiah wants to see God's glory revealed, but he recognizes no one's ever seen that. You can't see it without being undone by it. He wants to see what no eye has seen. He's longing for this glory to come to dispel the darkness that's all around him. He's looking forward to that coming day. He's waiting for it. Now this is really key to Advent. Advent is about waiting. And we build this sense of waiting and anticipation by lighting one candle each week. So this week it's the candle of hope, one little flame flickering, and you've got to come back next week to see candle two lit. And then candle three and four, and finally all five candles on Christmas Eve celebrating that God has revealed himself. And how did he reveal himself to us? We saw his glory manifested in a baby. And when we look in the face of that baby, we're looking at the face of God. And we're seeing God's glory shine upon us. I think this is part of the connection that Isaiah is trying to make when he's talking to these people. Paul makes a similar connection when he talks to the people of God. He says this, for what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servant for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Do we want to see God's glory revealed in all of its fullness? Look at Jesus, starting from the moment that he was born, and then as he lived his entire life fulfilling the mission that God gave him. I think this is part of what it means for this longing to see God's face. It shines hope into darkness when we need hope. I'm trying to figure out some ways to maybe make this make sense. And this is the closest I've gotten so far. I was thinking about my son, Travis. He's now grown, but at one point he was a little guy and I lost him at Target. Any of you have ever lost a kid in a public place know how quickly the panic can rise up in you and you're like, I don't know. I imagine the worst thing. Someone has taken my son and carted him off. I'm never going to see him again. So I begin this frantic search around Target trying to find my little kid. 
And finally, I notice underneath a clothes rack, some little feet sticking out. It's one of those circular clothes racks. You can kind of look down in the top, in the middle. So I sneak over to this clothes rack, and I look down into this clothes rack, and there is my Travis sitting in the middle of these clothes. And he's a very sad boy. And I can imagine that as he's sitting there, he's sitting in darkness too because he's imagining, yeah, Dad abandoned me. He left me here to fend for myself. I'm on my own, whatever. He, he was very, very sad. I looked up over the rack, and I just said his name. I said, Travis. And he immediately looks up at me and sees my face. And, and that moment, he does one of these really deep, like lets his breath out. <sighs> this is the power of seeing the face of someone who loves you. Of course, then I hauled him out from that rack and I yelled at him and said, find a ride home with someone else. You can go, I don't want you anymore. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. I did what a father does. I scooped him up in my arms and grabbed him and hugged him. And said, don't tell your mother. (laughs) What's the power of seeing the shining face of God in our lives? If we're in darkness, if we're lost and darkness is all around us, this is where we find hope. This is what Isaiah is saying to the people. And they really need to hear it in this moment because these people are afraid. They're worried. They're thinking, maybe this time, We have been so bad that God is going to abandon us. Maybe this time we have committed a sin so heinous that God doesn't want anything to do. Maybe God is going to hide his face from us. This is what their lament is in Isaiah 64. You know, even our best acts are like filthy rags. We sinned and continued to sin even even though we knew it was wrong. Maybe this time God is done with us. This is their fear. I don't know if you've ever had that fear. You've given into that temptation again. This time I thought I was never going to have to face that again, and I did, and God's going to be done with me. There's no way God could forgive that kind of sin. Have you ever been there? This is where these people are at. And Isaiah says, no. God is going to shine his face upon you, and when you look into the face of God, you're going to see that you're loved. You belong to him. You're his children. Now, as we're reimagining Christmas, I hope that you can reimagine this bright light shining down from heaven, revealing the glory of God in the face of Christ. And when you look into the face of Jesus, even as a baby, you recognize you're loved. And maybe one more stretch of the imagination is this. That love is so great, it it extends to everyone. It extends to all people at all times. There's no one who gets excluded from this promise. In Isaiah 64, the children of Israel were a lot like my son in Target. They're wondering if God has abandoned them, if they're going to be left in their sinfulness. And Isaiah says, no, you're not, because that's not the kind of God that we serve. We serve a God who says, I'm going to love you, and I'm going to demonstrate my love over and over again, and you're going to see it in some very dramatic ways. The earth will shake, nations will quake, A virgin will give birth to a baby and peace and goodwill will come to the whole world. Now we're still waiting for that last part. We're still waiting to see that happen. But the good news of great joy for all people is that this, people walking in darkness will see a great light. On those walking in the land of deep darkness, on them a light will shine because God chooses to shine his light on them. 
Now I'm wondering if anybody here in this room knows anyone who's walking in darkness right now. Maybe a better question would be, how many people in this world do you think are walking in darkness right now? A deep darkness. And longing for some light. Longing for a light that is powerful enough to dispel the darkness. Looking for hope. Now I assume that everybody here in this room has played this one game, hide and seek. Has everyone ever played hide and seek? Have you ever played hide and seek with a really little kid? Here's what I noticed about my kids when they were little. I don't know if this applies to everyone, but they could not stay hidden very long. Okay, so we'd play the game. They'd go off hiding. Dad would stall on trying to find them. And then I would say things like, oh, I wonder where my little girl is. I wonder where my little boy is. And it'd only take a couple of minutes and all of a sudden they'd be popping out from their hiding. I'm here! Here I am! And here's my conclusion. They wanted to be found. The fun of that game was not the hiding. It was the, the being found. That was the fun of it. And I think we all are like little kids. And we want to be found. And I think everyone walking in darkness wants to be found. And here's the good news of Christmas. God wants to find them. He wants to find you and me, and He wants to find everyone. God is seeking, and He's going to seek until He finds us. And this is the message of Christmas reimagined. Our hope lies in God shining His light down upon us, the light that's bright enough to dispel all the darkness, and He wants to do it so that we'll be found. I don't know how you take any of this into a next step, but maybe a couple things you could think about is this. Uh, this Advent season, can we learn to rest in this kind of hope? To, you know, trust God's promises, though, even though it hasn't come yet fully, that there's a day coming when Jesus will return. We're looking forward to that day. It's part of the Advent season. One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. One day everything that's broken will be set right. One day God will come in all of his glory and there will be no more darkness. And that's not here yet, but we're waiting. And I love this beautiful promise in Isaiah 64, 4, where God says, I, I come to those who wait. I come to those who wait. So maybe rest in that waiting over the next few weeks and grow your trust that way, that might be one response. Another next step might be to just keep asking that question, who, who else do you know who's in darkness? Who do you know who needs a little light? Who needs a little bit of hope? And could you shine that hope this season? You know, the Christmas season is the perfect time to enter into conversations that could bright, brighten someone's day and offer hope. People are already thinking about baby Jesus born in the manger can you talk to them about that and tell them what happened to baby Jesus when he grew up? He lived a perfect life. He did everything God told him to do. And then he got nailed to a cross and he died for our darkness, for our sin. And they buried him in a tomb, the darkest place you could put him. And then three days later, he burst out with bright light and resurrection, hope for everyone. Is there someone in your life that needs to hear that story? Someone who needs a little bit of hope and a little light? Think about that. That might be another next step. I, this is so important in my mind because everyone's afraid of the dark. Everyone needs a little light in the darkness. Everyone needs hope. So here's my prayer for Christmas. Oh God, 
Tear open the heavens and come down and shine your light into our darkness so that we can have hope. Lord God, I give you thanks for your work in our lives, for these good people, for their listening, and for your Holy Spirit who's stirring up in us hope. And we just praise you and thank you. We ask that you'll continue the good work that you've started. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We pray you were blessed by today's message. If you'd like to support the ministry of Cedar Hills, please visit our website, www.cedarhillscr.org.